see what's about to happen next, okay? Okay, okay, we'll see what's about to happen next, okay? Okay, okay, we'll see what's about to happen. Hey, hey, we'll see what's about to happen. Welcome, Pewter Report hey, readers, viewers, we'll and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius. It is a Wednesday edition of the show, and we are going prime time once again, mixing it up a little bit um, in the off season since uh, we don't have as busy of a schedule. Still very busy, but in terms of being at the Bucks facility, we can mix it up a little bit. And uh, that's exactly what we are doing. Today, we are going to talk about uh, what's next for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The offseason has just begun. We obviously know um, that there's been a lot of discussion about head coach Todd Bowles. And as Peter Report reported, that Byron Leftwich will be fired. It has not happened yet, but we still expect it to happen uh, relatively sooner rather than later. But we got to talk about a lot of the Bucks players, too. And that's why we have our man, our cap guy. Cap guy. Well, that's how you start as the cap guy. You've evolved much further into that. But it is Josh Capo of PeterReport.com. I'm Matt Matera, by the way. I don't know if I introduced myself. Maybe you're new to the show. You've never watched this show before. I'm your host, Matt Matera. Joining with me is my fellow colleague at PeterReport.com, Josh Capo. Josh, how are you doing, my friend? Thank you for joining us in prime time. I am well, Matt. A um, little tired, but thankfully Celsius is powering me through today. Um, but having a good day overall, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And for those that maybe didn't hear it a little bit earlier, Josh was on the Ronnie and T. Crash show this afternoon talking about the Buck salary cap situation going into this offseason, which we will be talking about um, today. So it was a great interview. I would definitely recommend checking it out. You can go on 95.3 and uh, download the, the show and the podcast, and there's no commercials, so nice little plug for them there, but they are great friends of ours, so why not interview, uh, why not plug our friends, especially when our colleagues are on the interview itself. Also want to give a shout-out to everybody uh, in the chats. I know, again, with the time difference, it's different for everybody, uh, but I appreciate everyone as Jason starts off with the LFG. Giuseppe, great name, says Go Bucks. Uh, Jesse wants... Byron Leftwich gone. That will be happening. Don't don't uh don't press it. Mr. Smith, what up, fam? Go Bucks. Shaggy always in the comments. Still chilling the bubbly for the lefty termination announcement. For the record, when Byron gets fired, I'm not gonna be like celebrating, doing no. a cheer. Like someone lost a job. It's just, you know, we reported it. We think it should happen, but you know, we're not gonna be doing somersaults for it. We're just doing our job uh reporting the news tt with the question uh payton is interviewing with the panthers and not with the bucks huh? question mark well the bucks have a head coach todd bulls they have not fired todd bulls yep. he is still their head coach and i don't know about you josh i think one there's no way sean payton's actually going to go to the panthers because the saints still own his contract rights and they're not going to let him go to division rival i personally just think it, this is a perfect way for the saints to drive up the bargaining price yeah. to when a team wants Sean Payton and they'll have to trade him. They're already asking for a first-round pick, but why not try to get like a top-10 first-round pick or a first-round pick in this year's draft the next year's draft? So smart move by the Saints. It, it, Sean Payton doesn't go anywhere without the thumbs up by New Orleans. So that's Absolutely. why. Yeah, so that's uh, that's why that he is, um, he is doing that. 
Um, let's get into Josh. I would love to get your opinion on just the overall situation, as we said at the beginning, and as we said on other shows. Looks like Byron Left is going to be out of here. Peter Report reported that that um, they are going to, they are expected to fire Byron Leftwich. So that means that there's a replacement coming in. And I think the big question going in, I said it on yesterday's show, and I, I want to get your thoughts about it. I think the Bucks really have a tough balancing act when it comes to Jason Light and especially Todd Bowles. You get one shot, Eminem, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted, as, yep. as the song goes uh, in 8 Mile. Um, you have to get this right, but you have to get it right on a couple of different layers. It's almost like playing a video game. You start with like level one, hire an offensive coordinator that will convince Tom Brady to come back. Level two, <laughs> hire an offensive coordinator that will make the offense better than it was last season, which probably should be level one. And then level three, hire an offensive coordinator that even when Tom Brady retires the year after, probably he's probably only coming back for one more season. Hire an offensive coordinator that can work with whoever the next quarterback is going to be, whether it's someone else in the draft, Kyle Trask, another veteran free agent. So there's a lot of layers to this. Um, just your overall thoughts about that situation with the Buccaneers. Any recommendations for anyone that you would want or specifically what you want to see adjusted for the Bucs offense going into next year, regardless of who's calling the plays? Uh, oh, that's very layered. Uh, I think you said – I'll start with level two because I believe you said – an offensive coordinator who can elevate over the offense this year. I think that's going to be the easiest bar to clear, right? Yeah. They were not good this year. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. I don't think the offensive coordinator is the one who's going to have to convince Brady to stay, to come back. I think that's really on Jason light and ownership, the Glazers. I think, and Todd Bowles, of course, I think those are the ones who are really going to do it. I think that the, whoever they choose as offensive coordinator, would have to be somebody that Brady is intrigued by and that he comes from a tree or a family where Brady feels confident that he can execute that offense at a high level. Um, as far as names go, I know we at Pewter Report have kind of thrown out two that are um, pretty uh, ensconched in, in, in what we think may happen, which is uh, Todd Monken in, from the University of Georgia and then Bill O'Brien, um, who I think is cool currently at Alabama, Correct. Um, but formerly he was in the Patriots organization as an offensive coordinator for them. And he, he was the head coach of the Houston Texans. Um, the, the kind of wild card name that I threw out earlier today now may have already been, um, uh, it, it may have already been like dismissed. I would love to see somebody like Mark Brunel. Brunel is currently the quarterback's coach in Detroit under Ben Johnson, who is the um, offensive coordinator, and what they were able to do in Detroit this year, they were a top four, top five offense in the league with Jared Goff at the helm. He had one of the best seasons of his career. Brunel was his quarterback's coach. Um, so I would love to see something like that. What I did not know, um, and somebody pointed out to me on Twitter, is apparently Mark Brunel was one of the most vocal uh, opponents of Tom Brady's deflate games. <laughs> Josh, I was about to say, as soon as you said Mark Brunel, the first thing that popped into my head, and I remember a lot of people remember this. Mark Brunel, I believe, was on one of the ESPN. NFL, yeah, ESPN shows, and he was like in tears, being like, It's 
it's disrespectful to the game of football. And he like had tears in his eyes being like, I don't know how anybody could try to gain an advantage like this and desecrate the great game of the NFL. So one of the levels we talked about of attracting Tom Brady right. back, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Mark Brunell. Um, He's probably not going to be the next offensive coordinator in the Tampa Bay Bucks. So, but, you know, like I said, just coming from that that kind of that tree at, at, with Johnson and what they've been able to do, the creativity they've had in Detroit, not just in terms of their passing attack, um, but also their run game has been extremely effective all year. And I'd have to go back and double check the stats, but I think they were one of the best, uh, one of the most frequent play action teams in the NFL. And I think it, we've widely reported it. I know former pewter reporter John Ledyard has been all over how good Tom Brady is from play action all season long. And yet the bucks were like 31st or 32nd in running it. So um, somebody of that ilk, you know, a high end quarterbacks coach that's coming from a pretty impressive um, uh, offensive system, kind of how Ken Dorsey was elevated in Buffalo this year. Um, uh, that would be what I'd be looking for there. I appreciate the suggestion. I also find it so funny, and I know the Bucs aren't searching for coordinators yet because they still have to make the announcement that they're firing Byron Leftwich. but I find it so funny. You know, there's obviously teams right now that are looking for a new offensive coordinator. The Jets and the Patriots both in the AFC East, and then um, the Chargers obviously let go of their offensive coordinator not long after they were eliminated from the playoffs. And you already hear the Jets have interviewed this person or they're talking to this guy. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett was someone that spoke with the Jets. And then the Patriots have a completely different list of like people that they've talked to. So I just think it's going to be really interesting. A lot of people are going to want to talk to Todd Munkin. A lot of people are going to talk to Bill O'Brien. He's one of the guys that was linked to the Patriots as well. So I just think Bucks fans have to brace for two. You might not get, I'm going to say the big three of Munkin, uh, Bill O'Brien or or Frank Reich. So just go in with an open mind if you don't get those three guys. It doesn't mean that the season's over. You know, there's a lot of great assistants with Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel in in Miami. Like there are other people that are suitable and capable of doing the job and making the Bucks offense better than it was last season. So that's why I appreciate when you go with someone like Brunel that I don't think not everyone is having at the uh, – at, on the top of their head and right. not everyone has previous history with the flake gate being upset at Tom Brady. So, you know, there's going to be a couple other people out there. Uh, we have a super chat from Giovanni Perez. Thank you very much, Giovanni for the $5 super chat. He says TB 12 or not the main priority for the new offensive coordinator should be developing a respectable running game. Anything than the atrocity we had to watch this season. I'm totally with you. And, uh, Josh, I know you're all about the analytics and advanced stats, and clearly the Bucks should be throwing more. And I completely agree with that. Not I'm more. Just, I'm, I'm just, yeah, a lot more. <laughs> no, no, just, not more. They threw way too much. They just threw oh, right. Well, yeah, spots. 60, 66 passing attempts last game. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's about picking your spots. And again, the Bucks' running game last year was historically bad. One of the worst in franchise history and NFL history. So yes. I think establishing the run, and again, Tom Brady or not, but if you do have Brady, Brady does not want to throw it 55 to 65 times. I think the Bucs were at their best. Again, in 2020, duh, they won the Super Bowl, Matt, <laughs> you idiot. Obviously, they were at their best then. But I think they were truly at their best. Putting a whooping on you early, you know, 
airing it out, and then they would start running the ball. And I know it came back to bite them at times. <coughs> I think the Buffalo game comes to mind. They ended up winning that one in overtime, but still should have never got to that point. Right. But, you know, this team has shown in the past that they can get the ball rolling in the run game. Even that Super Bowl, they had some drives where they were ripping off 10 to 15-yard runs and moving the ball down the field with Brady not even having to throw it 10 yards down the field. They had an effective screen game to, like, the tight end. How many times did we get a screen to the tight end this season? They threw a 1,000 screens, and, like, maybe one went to Kate Auden and one went to Cam Brate. It was a, you know, 95% of it was to um, was to Chris Godwin. So, again, it's – you're not going to delete everything from the playbook. It's just, hey, let's run more than the five plays that you can say – Ask Madden, and that's what comes up on your video game screen. <laughs> yeah, I I completely agree that that whoever comes in the running game has to be evaluated and improved upon. Um, to the point you you were making there, I'm not somebody who's anti running. I just I don't like how much the Bucks ran on first down. Correct. And I think if you pass on first down more, a you're going to get more first downs, which gives you actually more opportunity to run on first down. Because what happens with the Bucs is oftentimes when they ran on first down, they wouldn't get to another one before the end of the drive. They'd be three and out. I mean, you and I, we, we, we've done over-under bets on three and outs. Yep. The last time we, we had it on the ticker down, tape. We had it on the ticker, <laughs> right? So, so, but what happens is, you know, I, I advocate for like 70%, 70 to 75% of your first down should be passes, right? By doing that, you're going to create a lot of first downs just on first down, right? You throw the ball more than 10 yards, it's caught, hey, a new first down. Um, but if you have two to three to four first downs on a drive, you run one of them, okay, now you've run the same amount of times as if you go three and out because you ran you know, the very first one. Um, the other thing is uh, you know, the, all of those passes don't have to go for a first down, but generally they're going to pick up between five, five yards or more. And that's considered a successful play on first down when you're getting half the yards you need to convert a new first down. And now you're in second and five. Okay, if you run for two or three yards, that's not necessarily a terrible play. Exactly. Second, second and three or second and two, you run for two or three yards, you actually have a new first down. But the other thing that it does is on second and two, second and three, you've opened up the entire playbook and you're, the defense can't sit on anything right? Because second and two is a great spot for a shot play. So they've got to respect that. They've got to keep two safeties back. You got to keep um, guys out of the box. And that leads me to the second point on the running game, which is, you know, finding a running game that doesn't bring everybody into tight splits where Chris Godwin is attached to the line, basically, after yeah. motioning over behind the the tight end and asking Godwin and asking Cam Bray and asking Kate Otten to block edge defenders, which they're not good at. And those are the guys who are oftentimes blowing up the play at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I think a lot of the time this season, there were formations that we just absolutely hated seeing for the big reason of it was just too tight. Spread them out. You got four great wide receivers. Spread them out. I'm not saying they have to go four wide every single time, but it's just too tight in the box. And that's why you saw it really hurt the Bucs. I think the first game that comes to mind is when they lost to Pittsburgh, where they had losing that game and everything was so tight and they couldn't convert on third and fourth and shorts and then losing to Panther, the Panthers, the Panthers. Is that the week before or the week after? I think uh, it was the week after. So they, yeah. they got upset by the Steelers and then they lost to the Panthers the next yep. week. And yeah, everything was just too congested. 
when you have that amount of talent, you need to get wider. I think that's why we want to see a lot more speed on the Bucks this year to get more outside and take advantage of that. Josh, I got another stat for you. Oh, bring it. 100% of the time, 100% of the time, if we are on the Pewter Report podcast, we are drinking Celsius energy drinks if we are going to be drinking any type of energy drink. And, of course, we love Celsius because they are the presenting sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast. They have a variety of awesome flavors, so many different ones from the Arctic Peach and Tropical Vibes to the Strawberry Lemonade to the Kiwi Guava, Cola, Cucumber Lime, uh, Watermelon. So a ton of awesome flavors over at Celsius. It uh, gives you the essential energy to get you through your day. Like if you had a very busy day like Josh, who had to be up at 4 in the morning. It's the healthy version of an energy drink. Seven essential vitamins, zero sugar or preservatives. And uh, if you want to find out where to get a Celsius, that's totally cool. We got you covered. Go to the store locator, punch in your address, and it will let you know where you can find one at your closest convenience, uh, whether it's your convenience store, a Walmart, your Target, or your local bodega, which I like to go to. And, um, you know, once you go to your bodega a couple times and you're like, I love you, bodega. You're so local and you're so (laughs) awesome. But the one thing I'm missing from you, oh, beautiful (laughs) bodega, is I can only get one Celsius can at a time. And I want more. (laughs) Oh, beautiful bodega. I want more Celsius. Uh, That's when you go to Amazon. You say, bodega, I'll see you for uh, everything else. I love you, bodega. I'm going to go to Amazon. (laughs) Click on the subscribe and save. And start getting into bulk. And I'd recommend getting the variety pack because variety is the spice of life. And why have one flavor of Celsius when you can get numerous flavors? Um, So have it sent to your house or apartment every one week, one month, uh, quarterly. So that's four times a year. Whenever you want, just uh, make sure you're drinking Celsius Energy Drinks, the official sponsor of the Pewter Report podcast. Look at the variety of flavors that they got over there. Ton of awesome options. Arctic Vibe might be my favorite. So uh, shout out to Celsius. Hashtag Celsius Lip Fit. Hashtag Celsius uh, Energy. Josh, we, well, we always love having you on the show, but one of the things we're going to take advantage of with you on the show is your knowledge of the salary cap. And specifically in this situation, when it comes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I'm about to drop your story in the chat. So if anyone hadn't seen it yet or hasn't read it you can read it now um it is titled where do the bucks go from here and i initially immediately thought of blink 182 where do we go from here <laughs> Lights down low. you know i'm feeling this anyway um but you wrote it great it was it was awesomely i don't even know if that's a word i just put in the chat there for everybody um, it was formatted in an awesome way. Again, this is where they need to start. This is where they can go from there. So um, let's start at the beginning. Obviously, a lot of this falls into what is Tampa Bay going to do with Tom Brady? Can they get Tom Brady back? And if they get Tom Brady back, that obviously helps the team on the field. But off the field, it helps as well because they have a huge cap hit if Tom Brady doesn't come back. Um, But if he does return, they can lessen the blow of that cap hit. But my question to you is, you know, we hear the term all the time, kicking the can down the road, the void years. My question is, 
the Bucs obviously want Brady back for so many reasons. One of them being they can lower the, the cap hit. But wouldn't it just put them in like a situation the following year where, again, they're going to have to give a lot of that money to Brady, whether he doesn't play or not? So you're essentially just moving it back another year. Am, am I wrong? And increasing it. Yeah. Um, so I did. So I'm projecting if he comes back, um, probably be about a one year, $30 million contract. Uh, that would put him about the 10th highest in the NFL for average annual value, um, which is kind of where Brady, you know, the sweet spot for him has been because he's not somebody who goes for the top of the market deal because he wants there to be extra dollars to give him talent. Uh, so a one for 30 deal can be structured. They would create voidable years, right? So yes. it's there's one year, the 2023 cap hit, but then they push money into 24, 25, 26, and 27. The problem is when you get to 2024, he's not on the team anymore. It's a voided year. So those four years worth of um, placeholders all accelerate into 2024. And the dead cap in 2024 would be something like 45, 46 million. So you're increasing it by a, a 10 to 11, no, 11 to 12 million. Uh, now, if he retires after 2023, they can portion that out by having his retirement processed after June 1st. So in 2024, the cap hit would be something like 15, 16 million of dead cap, but you'd still be hit with 30 million in 2025. Now, I know there are probably a lot of fans in the chat freaking out right now and saying absolutely not worth it. The other thing that you have to consider is that the salary cap is exploding year over year over year. Correct. This yes. year, I think it was somewhere around 206 million next year. Most analysts are projecting it 2023. We're projecting it around 225 million to 2024. There's a good chance it could get up to 245, 250. All right. So even with a $30 million cap hit, um, I'm sorry, a 16 million in 23 or 24, 30 million in 2025, you'd be working with about the overall cap that teams have right now. So um, there is something to be said by pushing, kicking the can down the road. You're kicking it to a bigger road. So there's more opportunity to absorb that hit. Um, so that is one scenario, one out of three um, when it comes to his cap hit. That one for 30 contract would actually lessen his 2023 hit from about 34 million to, I want to say, around 18. Um, yeah, it's a huge jump. I right. mean, you know, saves them about $16 million. Plus it gives you your QB one, which is currently a question mark, right? Correct. So kind of two birds, one stone type thing. Um, the other two scenarios, and, and I put them into two different buckets because they affect the salary cap two different ways. If Brady retires, there is a good chance that he would work with the team to lessen his cap hit for this year, this upcoming year. Um, and basically what they would do is they would extend him. And I use quotes because it would be a placeholder contract. It would be one year for the minimum amount of money for his service time, which I think is 1.65 million, something around there. Um, it'd be unguaranteed. And they would just hold that until June 1st. And then on June 1st or June 2nd, they would process his retirement paperwork. And what that would allow them to do is take that 34.1 million and all they would be responsible for in 2023 is 10.8 million of it. The rest of it would be pushed to 2024. So you divide up that cap hit a little bit, absorb it over two different years with the lesser coming in 2023, which is more important to them right now um, sure. because they're projected over the cap in 23 and not in 24. Um, 
so that's one uh, alternative scenario. The worst case scenario for the Bucks is if Brady decides to continue to play, just not in Tampa Bay, because there is nothing they can do to his contract at that point. They will have to absorb the entire $34.1 million. Silver lining for those of uh, Bucks fans, and I know there's a large contingent of them out there that are like, blow it up, rebuild. Well, you get the entire cap hit out of the way in 2023. And then in 2024, you're working um, with a lot of room and you can at that point start to build your next iteration of a playoff team. And that third option is the worst, not only because he's playing for another team, but he also would be less inclined to help out the box. Kind of like what your second option was saying of help out them with their salary hit or salary cap hit. Uh, Cause he has no reason to at that point. Well, and he could be on a team that plays the box the next season. We don't yeah, know. Yeah. The issue there is for him to help out the Bucks. All anything would have to be done after June 1st and they would have to create a contract for him in the meantime. So Brady's not going to wait till June 2nd to find a new team. He's going to want to be participating in OTAs. He's going to want to be learning a new playbook. He's going to want to have that contract uh, taken care of and start to work with his new team. So under that scenario, there's no option for Brady to work with the team. It's just, it's, it's a non-starter. So if he decides um, to play and it's not with the Bucks. That's it. The thir- full thirty-four million is is absorbed, right? And it almost sounds like a little bit uh, the the first option you mentioned. It's kind of essentially like when you have something important to do, and you're like, "Eh, that's future me's problem." Like, I don't have to do that until later. I don't have to worry about that until later. That's kind of what Tampa Bay is uh, falling into. So. A couple other things in your article, and of course, I'm not going to give away the whole thing because we encourage everybody to read it on PeterReport.com. We enjoy the web traffic. Yes, we do enjoy the the web traffic. Uh, You talk about investing the pass rush. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on the show. Uh, You talk about, obviously, finding a new offensive system, which we talked about in the beginning. I think the big thing that would be intriguing to Bucks fans is the restructuring of a couple of players. And you talked about this with Ronnie and T. Kras. Before we get to that, we did have a super chat for Matthew. Thank you, Matthew, for the $2 super chat. Uh, Matthew says, great QB next year, trade Trask for a beach chair. Uh, are you talking about the quarterback class for the NFL draft? Please uh, expand in the comments if uh, if you possibly can. Um I mean, it's a good quarterback class this year if he's talking about this year's draft that's coming up. I mean, obviously, Bryce Young, everyone's talking about uh, the quarterback from Kentucky, Will, Will Le- Levis. I Levi. think it's Levis. I think Levis, it's Levis. Yeah. If it's Levi's, he's got to get a sponsorship. I mean, come <laughs> on, man. I mean, if anything to get him away from putting mayonnaise in his coffee. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, you didn't know about this? No. He, yeah, he's he. He famously puts mayonnaise, like not even a little bit, puts a lot of mayonnaise in his coffee and then drinks that. He got um, that's disgusting. S- he got the SEC sideline reporter and uh, just overall great media personality Alyssa Lang to do it. Yeah, with I thought that was when they ate the like the banana or something. They they've done that one too. Yeah, yes, he I've eats seen bananas that one. without the peel, but he also puts mayonnaise in his coffee. Shout out to Alyssa Lang, of course, her and uh, and Trevor. Yeah, got engaged a little while ago. We love the both of them. Uh, loved working with Trevor. Met Alyssa once, one of the nicest people ever. So, um, we, we love them, they are great. So, good to chat them out on the show. Yeah, uh, we have another super chat from I didn't know that he put it in his coffee though. That's 
disgusting. That's why. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like, remember when everyone went crazy over Mahomes and he puts ketchup on everything? I mean, right. move that out of the way. This is the new Absolutely. weirdo. I will send you a video of it. Okay. Sounds good. Um, Steven Masella, thank you for the 279 Super Chat. Canadian, uh, what do you think of Kyle Trask? And we need more speed. We, well, I'm not going to say we because we're not part of the Bucks. Right. They absolutely need more speed. We just cover the team. Um, they absolutely need more speed. I think that's something that they are going to target, whether it's in free agency or whether it's in the draft. What do I think of Kyle Trask? I think he has an awesome, uh, what do you call it? I was going to say horoscope. Uh, what do you, like, he's a Pisces. So what's that called? Astrological uh, sign. Yeah, I think he's got an awesome astrological sign. I think he's got an awesome birthday date, March 6th, which is also my birthday. As a player, I I mean, he couldn't beat out Blaine Gabbert this year in, tra- in training camp. He didn't look great when he played in week 18. Now, understandably, he was with third and fourth string players. I would like to see him play with the starting offensive line and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I just think at this point, he is not a viable option to be the starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or really for any team. Um, He kind of needs experience, but he's not going to get that experience because he can't beat out the second string quarterback. I just don't think he's an option as a starter for the Bucs next year. I hope he proves me wrong, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, um, so for me... If Brady doesn't come back, I would like to see the team go for a bit of a reset um, from a cap perspective, which means that they're not going to be as aggressive in free agency to necessarily like go all in to make a run. And under that scenario, I'd be fine with throwing Trask out there for a year and seeing if you catch lightning in a bottle and he actually is um, a lot better than what he's shown in limited action in the preseason and training camps. Uh, so I'd be fine with that. And uh, the reason being is you have that one-year re, uh, cap reset year. You got a couple of different scenarios. If Trask is not good, okay, you're t- picking in the top 10, you have an opportunity to get your next franchise quarterback. If he happens to be really good, okay, you've got enough of a core of a roster, and the NFC overall, especially the NFC South, is down enough that, okay, now you're in the playoffs, and you know, let's see what can happen here. If he is somewhere in between – I still think you end up in the you know low te- teens in terms of picks, and you are close enough to the top ten that you can move up for the quarterback that you need. So I think Trask is that perfect kind of one year bridge. Yeah. Um, plus, you get the opportunity to evaluate what was a second round pick at one point. So as far as we need more speed, you must be looking at my tweets about my runs because absolutely their <laughs> times are terrible. I need to improve my pace yeah but you're getting back into it and, and I, that's the importance of it i should refrain my statement about trask i do think if the bucks are in a situation of hey let's just tank and try to get caleb williams or something like that then start kyle trask but i don't think todd bowles wants to sign up for that i don't think an offensive coordinator that he wants to hire is looking to get into that type of situation so it could really hamstring the bucks for the future but they also may not totally have an option we have a couple more super chats uh matthew was talking about the 2024 quarterback class 
not this year's 2023 quarterback class. He says the 2024 quarterback class is higher rated than the 2023 class even. I'm going to be honest. I haven't really looked at the 2024 class too much, but thanks yeah. for thanks for looking it up, Matthew. Yeah, the only one that I'm I'm familiar with because I haven't gotten into the draft prep yet um, is Caleb Williams. The problem yes. with that is with that amount of timeline, there's so much that can change. I mean, if you remember two years ago, uh, you know, going into the 2020, I guess that would have been 2021 college um, season, uh, the kid who ended up transferring to South Carolina, everybody thought he was going to be Spencer Rattler. Yeah. Spencer Rattler was going to be number one overall. I mean, you remember the Dolphins tank for Tua. He ended up being like the third quarterback off the board. That there's so much. Baker Mayfield, yeah, Baker Mayfield, like wasn't really going to be the guy as the number one pick until like the day before was when it really started coming out. And I think the best example in a positive way was Joe Burrow. Like Joe Burrow wasn't really on anyone's radar until he stayed that second year at LSU. And then they went undefeated, had arguably the greatest college football team of all time with obviously guys running rampant in the league now with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, who's still playing with Joe Burrow. So you never know. A lot can change from here to uh, next season in terms of that quarterback class. But uh, appreciate the question and the super chat, of course. And definitely a fun conversation when the Bucs will eventually be looking for a quarterback. It's just many hope that it's in 2024 and not for the 2023 season. We got another super chat, a 499 super chat from William Butler. Thank you, as always, William, and thank you for – the Hasbula, uh cover picture. I always, I always appreciate that. Who doesn't love Hasbula? Anyway, William says, and I think also William's from Long Island, so shout out to that as well, William. <laughs> anyway, did the Bucks really not bring Gronk back after he stated he wanted to after Thanksgiving? Stroud said it on the Rich Eisen show. I, yeah, I, I did see that. There were some of those reports. As far as why the Bucks didn't bring back Rob Gronkowski, I'm not totally sure. I I don't know from a financial aspect. I know obviously Gronk wouldn't play for free, but I think the Bucks probably could have made it work. Uh, I think Tom Brady would have loved to have Tom uh, Rob Gronkowski. I, I I'm not totally sure as to why they didn't offer him a spot on the team, unless they were worried about stunting the the growth of Kate Otten, but. They clearly didn't care about that the season before at outside linebacker with Joe Tryon Shoenko when they kept rolling out and injured JPP. So I don't think it had anything to do with, hey, we really love what Kate Otten's been doing. Obviously, he had some big moments, but even at the end of the season, Kate Otten kind of tapered off. I think the Bucs would have loved to have Gronk. Yeah, it's it's perplexing. Um, The only thing I can think of is that it was extremely like surface level. Like Gronk's like, hey, I might be interested in coming back. And it just never got that far. Um, the big thing, if he's saying around Thanksgiving that he has an interest in getting coming back, that, I guess that would have gotten him ready by the playoffs. But, I mean, you're talking about a ramp up in terms of getting his body ready, getting back into his playing, uh, to his playing weight. There's a lot that goes into that. I do think that that probably would have made meant that he was ready for the playoffs but he probably wouldn't have been involved in any of the, the final part of the season. It would have been on the practice squad, I think. True. I, I think another thing we really have to factor in is that we're just hearing this from, you know, Gronk's point of view versus, you know, 
I'm sure if you ask Jason Light and the front office of the Buccaneers, there's one side of the story, the other side of the story, and the truth. And I'm sure it wasn't as simple as Gronk was like, hey, I want to play. All right, Gronk, we'll have you in, and we'll, you'll start playing on Sunday. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. And I don't think people realize, and it probably doesn't help that, for example, Ryan Jensen, he practiced for three weeks before he started the playoff game on Monday night. There's just being in shape and there's football shape and Gronk understands that. So it wasn't like Gronk was just going to come in the day after Thanksgiving and even though the Bucs would have played that Sunday, but, but, you know, come in after the game and be ready to go in a week. There's, there's obviously, uh, there's a whole level. There's levels to this levels and layers is the topic of tonight's show. Cam with the 199 <laughs> super chat. What key positions I, for this year's draft, I assume you're talking about the Buccaneers, of course. I think this is an open-ended question because it depends on a lot of things, which, you know, the contract restructures and potential cap casualties that could happen this offseason. Free agency obviously happens before the NFL draft goes on, so the Bucs will address some of these question marks in free agency. And then you get to the gra- to the draft. So that's why I think it's open-ended because – for example, you look at the cornerback position. If the Bucs aren't able to re-sign Jamel Dean, who you have said, Josh, has played himself out of probably a contract here in Tampa Bay and say it doesn't work out with Sean Murphy bunting, the Bucs could be looking at a veteran corner that's been around the league for a while that they want as their number two if they don't try if they don't trust Zion McCollum. Or maybe they end up taking a corner early in the draft and try to groom him to be the number two. Um, I think, again, offensive tackle could be a, a big position that they're looking at this year. Inside linebacker, if Levante David doesn't come back. I don't I don't want to name, like, every single person, every single position. But I'm just trying to say, I really think outside of maybe one or two positions, everything is on the board for the Bucs in this year's draft. It'll just depend on what they decide to attack in free agency and then what they go for in the draft. Yeah, uh, I I guess, you know, rather than saying what are the key positions for the draft, you can see say where are the current holes just based on this moment in time in terms of who they're about to lose to free agency because we have no insight on who is absolutely going to be re- retained at, at this moment um, and who's not. So just looking at the starters, you mentioned inside linebacker, Levante David is set to be a free agent, um, defensive tackle next to Vita Vea. <laughs> because Akeem Hicks is set to be yes. a free agent um, cornerback next to um, uh, Carlton Davis safety, because all three of the safeties behind Antoine Winfield jr. Are all set to be free agents in terms of Mike Edwards, um, Logan Ryan and Keanu Neal <coughs> on the offensive side of the ball quarterback. That's a pretty big one. Um, so all of those could be, uh, potential draft targets, depending on what they do in terms of re-signing their own players as well as um, uh, signing external free agents. Then when you look at depth, I think offensive tackle where you could cut Donovan Smith, um, I think it's probably a conversation that will happen, whether it does actually occur or not is another thing. Um, but even depth behind him, because Josh Wells, unfortunately, he's supposed to be there for when other guys get injured, and God love the guy. He just gets injured himself. Like he, when he fills in, he falls down. Like it's just, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, so they have to start looking at that, that swing tackle position. 
<coughs> potentially running back if Leonard Fournette is um, let go. Depth at wide receiver because really the only wide receivers on the roster um, are Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, potentially Russell Gage, who is another potential cut, and Devin Tompkins, right? So I think they did sign Kalen Geiger to a um, futures contract, right? Yes, they did. Yeah. So, um, so really, it's up and down the roster. There are so many free, uh, pending, impending free agents that you could make a case for almost any position group. The one area where I think they're actually fairly solid is interior offensive line. Uh, Nick Leverett, uh, Robert Hainsey, Gedeke, uh, Ryan Jensen, Shaq Mason, all, John Motion, all under contract for next year. So that's one place where you can say, we've got a lot of people for it. Um, I thought Nick Leverett played very well at, at, at left guard this year. Um, and I am all for a three-man, potentially even a four-man if they re- re-sign uh, Aaron Stinney, competition for that left guard spot next year between him, Hainsey, and Gedeke. Yeah, Stinney crossed my mind as well because when we were at the uh, the facility on Tuesday as players were cleaning out their locker, uh, Aaron Stinney was in there, and you know we hadn't seen him in a long time. And obviously he, he had that season-ending injury, unfortunately, in the preseason. So I don't really know if there's a market for him just because he hadn't played all year and he's already a reserve offensive lineman. But as Bucks fans know, he was starting in the playoffs after Alex Kappa got hurt and uh, was in there when the Bucks won the Super Bowl. So definitely think it would be important for him to be in that rotation as well. Uh, before we talk about players that the Bucks could att- potentially extend their contract to open up some more cap room, let's hear a message from our friends at Age Rejuvenation. When I got over 40, all of a sudden I didn't have the same kind of energy that I used to have and I was sluggish all the time and I wasn't sleeping right and I started to have uh, some sweats when I was sleeping and different things that as I looked into it I found out could be uh, a lack of testosterone or low testosterone. So I reached out, I know, I've known Brett and everybody here at Age Rejuvenation for a long time, so I knew that they were the right people to help me. They did look at all of my testosterone levels and all of my hormone levels and found that my testosterone was very low. So they put me on the pellets, which I love because there's something about not having to take a shot every week and doing six months at a time that really is convenient. My wife certainly noticed the difference, just my energy day to day, how motivated I was when I got up in the morning to just get up and start doing things as opposed to laying around the house and being unmotivated. All of a sudden I was like looking for projects, looking for things to do around. Don't tell her I said that, but looking for things to do around the house. Have better sex using age rejuvenation. You see John Gilmore, former Buccaneer, who was on the Peter Tailgate show with Peter Report this year. Uh, he speaks very highly of it. He looks like he could still play football. Scott Reynolds, PeterReport.com. I know you've heard of him. Um, he's talked about how much it's helped him, how uh, he's lost some weight from it, and just you know, not as tired all the time, not, not taking those midday naps. So check out age rejuvenation. They got testosterone therapy, peptide therapy, stem cell therapy, and even more. And so check out how we can help you, agerejuvenation.com. Josh, I know we said we were just going to talk about contract extensions, and we will. We did get another super chat, I believe, from Matthew, though. So, again, if you super chat us, we will answer it as quickly as you put it in there or post it on there. And um, we just have a lot of awesome comments, so I'm trying to find it at the moment. But... (laughs) 
Uh, it was about the defensive line. Yeah, here it is from Matthew. Thank you again, Matthew. Is Hall, JTS, Gattaki, Keith uh, a bust? And then he says to unload Donovan Smith. I think it's way, 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 way too early to make any type of decision on if this draft class is a bust or not. It's funny. The other day I was having lunch with our intern, Adam, and we were going through some of the recent draft classes with Jason Light. And it's you listen, you're not going to get every single pick correctly, but you look at some of the Bucks draft classes like the year they got Jordan Whitehead in the fourth round. And, um, you know, the, the one in 2020 was very top in and Antoine Winfield Jr. And those were exceptional. And it tapers off after that. You got to give it, I think, at least three years before you truly make a, uh, you know, a decision yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, I, so I think including Co-Keefed in any type of bust conversation, I think we need to really define what a bust is because Co-Keefed was a sixth, sixth or seventh round pick, right? Correct. I think it was sixth. Yeah. yeah, sixth round pick. If a sixth round pick makes the roster, he immediately is not a bust, right? Because at that depth of the draft, you're hoping you can find guys who can just be depth pieces. Not only was Keefe a, a depth depth piece, I mean, he was on the field for quite a bit. Like he he logged significant snaps, and really the only thing they asked him to do is block, and he was a decent blocker. So Co-Keith can never be a bust just by virtue of his draft status. I can show you a ton of guys who were drafted in that round who don't even make it to their second year. There are a lot of guys who don't even make it to the first year. They don't even make the final 53-man roster as a sixth or seventh round pick. So let's throw him out. Um, Gedeke had an atrocious season. I, I think everyone, including him, would probably admit that. You also have to consider the context of moving from the right side to the left, from tackle to the left guard, and then being thrown in as a starter on a team that had Super Bowl aspirations. I personally thought he was overdrafted because he was taken in the, what was it, late in the second, I think. Um, I think I had a fourth round grade on him. But offensive linemen typically don't do well if they have to start their, <laughs> yes, I will say Ryan Leaf was a bust. Yeah. Um, uh, offensive linemen typically don't perform well, especially guys who aren't even first rounders um, in their first year in the NFL. So uh, the jury's still out on him. Um, it's, Logan Hall, I'm concerned. Um, and it's not so much like defensive line is one of the hardest positions to come in as a rookie, but he was just getting manhandled. <laughs> um, I, I just don't think he had the sh play strengths, at least he doesn't right now, to be an interior defensive lineman. If the Bucs want to go ahead and have him drop some weight and try and be a big end, like I think Pittsburgh may do with um, uh, what's his last name? I can't remember the kid they dra drafted. Um, uh, maybe, maybe he can succeed there, but I have serious questions about whether he'll be able to do it. But it's still too early to say anything. Like you can't say bust on something like that. Give him an off season to put bulk up or cut weight and whatnot, and see what he does in year two. JTS is the one I'm on the record. Matt and I have had these yes. conversations before. <laughs> um, if you were expecting him to be TJ Watt, the expectations were way too high, right? Um, he was a 32nd overall pick. He was a project. He missed his last year of college. 
his first year in the NFL, they threw him in a whole bunch of different positions. So he didn't get a chance to really log a ton of snaps and start to learn how to play edge. Um, but if you look at what he did today, this year, I'm sorry, he was one of the best coverage edges in the NFL. And I know you say, well, that's not really his job. And Todd Bowles' system, that's a big part of his job. Um, he ranked in the low 30s in pressure, in uh, pressure rate, in uh, pass rush win rate, um, in total number of pressures. So it at that, he's a high end too. So if you're talking about a guy who was taken late in the first round, who is a project, who in his second year is on a consistent snap-to-snap basis winning at the same rate as a high-end number two edge, that to me is a successful pick. Plus there's there's opportunity for him to grow more. A lot of edge rushers don't make the jump till year three. He's coming up on year three. The one thing I would want to see, and I know a ton of Bucks fans want to see, and I know Scott Reynolds absolutely wants to see, is <laughs> him start to wrap up because everybody looks at the sack numbers and goes, Oh, he's not good. Right. He only had four sacks, I think on the season, he legitimately had his arms around a quarterback, like six other times. He could have had 10 sacks, right? He's just got to learn to wrap up. And that's typically an easier thing to learn to do than to learn how to consistently win against NFL offensive linemen. And that's one thing that he's actually doing fairly well. Josh, you couldn't have set it up any more perfectly. Uh, one of the videos that we didn't get to on yesterday's podcast was Todd Bowles. Or maybe we did, but I'll play it again anyway. Who cares? Um, it's an important thing that the fans should know in case they missed it. Um, Todd Bowles was asked about the pass rush, and he essentially said that he wanted more from just the four-man pass rush and outside linebacker. And then Peter Report's very own Scott Reynolds asked Todd Bowles about JTS, and this is everything – that Todd Bowles had to say. No, I don't think it was great. I think we were similar the last three years in numbers, or at least within three or four of number-wise, but they all came from different guys. I think when your nose is your leading sack guy, I don't think the pass rush was good enough. We fell off some, we missed some, but they came from a multiple group of people. Uh, you want to be able to get there with four so you can play more coverage. I thought we got better from a pass defense standpoint in that aspect, but we can also rush the passer better. If the situation becomes available, we definitely need more sacks from that position. That's one of our money positions where we count on sacks to come from, the majority of them anyway. So uh, hopefully Shaq comes back okay. With the third year, Joe can be better at that. Nelson, hopefully we can get back and Carl stepped in nicely, but we need more production from a sack standpoint out of that position. This year, did he, did he um... Uh, where, where's his ceiling, do you think, in heading into year three? I think he can get a lot better. Uh, he fell off quite a few sacks. Like you said, he finished closing. He might have missed more sacks than he made. And if he makes those, he's fine. And we got to work on him finishing at the top of uh, top of the rush, especially falling off the quarterback. I think he leaves his feet too early. Uh, we've talked about this. He understands that going forward. And we'll try to get him better and get him to the next level from that standpoint. But... He's still got all the talent in the world, and you know we're waiting for this guy to break out. And when he does, and if he does, he's going to be a heck of a player. Is it one of those things too, where he just he needs to kind of stick with with the pass rush plan and and play that chess game too, and, and, and the mental side of of the pass rush developing? It's more experience. When you start your first year, you see a lot of different block combinations and guys how to bait you and everything else like that. He has some learning games he understands how he has to rush and how people are start attacking them and chip blocks and everything else like that. 
that he understood this year that he needs to see. So next year, hopefully, the experience of that will help him going forward. I know Bucks fans are unhappy with Todd Bowles for his coaching style this season and the fact that they went eight and nine, eight and ten, if you can count the, the playoff game. A lot of people are unhappy with the way that he speaks as well. As Rich says, I play him talking to put my kids to sleep. Uh, <laughs> Rev Revisionary Enterprises says, Mr. Exciting. Tyler uh, gives the snooze emoji. So, uh, <laughs> at as this is John V. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, I was talking about the draft class before. Obviously, Hall and Keith, some of the guys that Matthew mentioned earlier, they're the 2022 class. JTS, of course, the 2021 class. But I just wanted to read a couple of the draft classes where there's still core players on this team. Going back to 2018, Vita was the first round pick, Vita Vea, of course. Then it was Rojo. They had three picks in the second round. Rojo, MJ Stewart, and Carlton Davis. I don't think Bucks fans remember. Carlton Davis was drafted after MJ Stewart, and Carlton became the guy that he is today. Uh, Alex Kappa was in the third round of that draft. Jordan Whitehead was the fourth round. Uh, Justin Watson and then Jack Sitchie in the fifth and sixth. You look at the 2019 draft class. Devin White in the first round. Sean Murphy Bunting. Dean in the third. Uh, Mike Edwards in the third as well. Anthony Nelson in the fourth. Matt Gay in the fifth. Scotty Miller in the sixth, and then uh, defensive tackle Terry Beckner Jr. in the seventh. And then the 2020, again, very top-heavy with Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield Jr. in rounds one and two. Then Keyshawn Vaughn in three, Tyler Johnson round four, uh, round five, sorry, the Bucks did not have a fourth-round pick that draft. Uh, Khalil Davis, Chappell Russell, Raymond Calais. Then you had JTS, Trask, Robert Hainsey, Darden, Britt, Wilcox, Grant Stewart. And then last year, Logan Hall, Luke Gedeke, Rashad Whitecade, and Jake Marta, Zion McCollum, Co-Keefe, and Andre Anthony. So a couple of late-round hits for Jason Light in recent years. And, yeah. you know, Cornerstone, I mean, if you look at the draft classes of, like, every team across the league, I think the Bucks would stack up towards the top of, of key significant guys on offense and defense that are still doing things for this team. Yeah, they absolutely do. I, I think, you know, everybody wants every pick to hit, and it's just not, you know. Yeah not going to happen. Um, it's largely a dart throw. Some, some teams do it marginally better than others. I think the only one where they've shown like a statistical um, variance in terms of like over a standard deviation is Mickey Loomis with the saints has proven to be a better drafter than just about everybody else um, over a significant period of time. I think you look at your top 100 picks, which is basically the first three rounds and you're hoping that you get you know, I'd say three dudes out of every two drafts from, from that hundred picks. And and what I mean by dudes is somebody you can build a roster around, right? Yeah. Like the, and so you, you look, you know, then from rounds four on, you're hoping you get lucky. Mm -hmm. So if you look at this most recent draft, I already said hall, you know, there, there's serious concerns there. Get a key. Obviously there are concerns. Although I think with get a key, the tools are there. Just got to learn to trust his his footwork a little bit better and get better at it um, and just kind of trust his instincts a little bit more. But you've got Kate Otten and Rashad White and Jake Camarda who all look, they had pretty solid rookie seasons, yes. right? And then Co'Keefe is a contributing player coming out of the sixth round. So this draft class is far from solidified. And if Kate Otten turns into a top 15 tight end at, 
and Rashad White turns into a starting running back, yeah, you may have missed on your first two picks, but those two make up for it, right, in terms of their contributions. And ultimately, you're just hoping that the draft class provides that value. Um, so I'd say, you know, Light had a fantastic fourth round. Kamar, uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, Kate Otten, and then my dude, Jake Camarda. Golden I mean, right, right there, successful draft, case closed. We're done. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Like, late round picks can make up for whiffs on uh, first and second round picks. All right, Josh, we've been talking about it all episode, but we, we kept getting super chats, so uh, we kind of kicked the can down the road like the Bucks have <laughs> with like a lot of their... Yeah. Uh, a lot of their extensions. But I, I think the two big things to really look at are players that the Bucks could extend contracts to um, that have signed second-year contracts to open up some room there. And then a couple of cap casualties, players that have big contracts where the Bucks could save some money by letting them go and also maybe not necessarily replacing them, but already having another guy there uh, at the same position that can become the starter. Um, it's in your article, but just off the top of your head, uh, feel free to go which in, in either direction. Yeah, I think the only one that I really think that there's a legitimate shot that there's an extension is uh, Mike Evans. Um, he's playing on. He's about to play on the last year of his deal. I want to say he's $23.7 million cap hit right around there. Um, I could see them giving him an extension kind of the going rate for high-end wide receivers at this point is two, uh, is $20 million a year. So I could see the Bucks giving him like a two-year $40 million deal, and the way that that would end up getting structured is they could lessen the cap hit um, from 23.7 to like 16.7, save $7 million off of 2023. Um, and in that scenario, I think I get like $30 million of the 40 is guaranteed and um, – basically means that he'll definitely go through that whole contract. As far as cut candidates, uh, I think there are four to five um, that there will be conversations about. And I think, you know, at least three of them would end up happening. Ryan suck up. Uh, I think Todd Bowles went on record today as saying like, we've got to get, we've got to be able to make longer kicks. And th- if that's the case, Ryan suck up's just not your guy. Um, and there's an opportunity to save 3.25 million. If you cut them, I think it only ends up being like a $750,000 dead cap hit or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are going to be conversations about Donovan Smith. So he's entering the last year of his deal. It's a little over 17 million and they save just, I think 50 grand under 10 million. If they cut him. uh, Cam Brate, who is entering year number 412 of his contract, <laughs> the final of those 412 years. Um, I do think that he probably gets cut. Uh, Lenny Fournette, I think there's conversation around him. Uh, yes, he just signed his new deal before this past off or this past season, uh, but the Bucks can save about $3 million if they let him go. Um, uh, his cap hit's set to be $8 million, so you eat five, but you free up three. Um, and then the last one, and this is the one I'm really advocating that they don't do is Russell Gage, um, uh, restructuring. They can save about 6 million cutting him. They only save 2.3, um, and Gage went healthy. Uh, I thought he brought a skill set that the rest of the Bucks receivers really struggled with, which is separation and combine that with decent yards after catch. And I think you give him a fully healthy season in 2023 and he would be a bargain at $10 million. A year. And as you mentioned, Gage could be one of the guys 
yeah, restructuring versus just completely getting rid of. And I, I am more intrigued with Russell Gage as he got healthier, was a good red zone target. I, I still think there's more to be had with um, with Russell Gage, where Julio, and he had a touchdown in the playoff game, but Julio, uh, he's clearly at the end versus Russell Gage. There's a little bit a little bit more to, to see if, if he's fully healthy. And this is where Tom Brady factors into everything because of the guys you mentioned, Leonard Fournette is a Tom Brady guy. You know, Brady was the reason Fournette, I think, got that contract in the first place after his going into his second season with the Bucs. So I think if Brady comes back, they're not going to make Tom unhappy by letting go Leonard Fournette. We all love Cam Brate. I think Cam Brate's gone. Um, they restructure his contract every single year. They give him a pay cut every single year is essentially what happens. <laughs> and you have Kate Otten right there. You have Keith co-keeped in there as well. You can bring in a veteran tight end. They tried doing it with Kyle Rudolph. There could be other guys that you put in there just as bodies anyway. And they like to use an offensive lineman as an extra tight end as well. Love Cam Brate. I hope he either signs on to a winning team or Maybe he plays one more year, retires, and then gets like a job in the Bucks organization. I would love to see him as like a color commentator. I think that would be awesome. Um, fan favorite, but I kind of think his time is done uh, yeah. in Tampa. So that would be a, a pretty obvious one right there. And then to go back to the whole Brady aspect of it, the Donovan Smith, I can totally see the case of cutting him, but then it's, do you move Tristan Wirfs to left ta- to left tackle? Who's going to be your right tackle? Do you want a rookie offensive tackle blocking for Tom Brady? Now, you asked the same question that in 2020, and Tristan Wirfs did pretty well with it. But this is a little bit of a, a different situation, especially if you decide we're just going to completely get a new left tackle and keep Tristan Wirfs the right tackle. Right. If your plan is we're going to find another Tristan Wirfs, that's a really bad plan. They yeah. caught lightning in a bottle on work tackle off the board Still right yeah yeah i did that cannot be your plan now with that said i think there are a couple of intriguing tackles out there um i think i made a case in my article for andre dillard former first round pick for the philadelphia eagles lost his starting job because jordan mylotta developed into a monster but dillard is actually graded out averaged well over his limited off opportunities and that's kind of a flyer thing where you can a get get them on a on a relatively cheap deal especially for that position um b you've got a couple of data points that suggest he should be pretty good the draft status and the fact that he's graded out fairly well in those limited opportunities especially as a pass blocker that for me if i'm roster building you have to take some calculated risks the bucks did it this past offseason in terms of going with aging veterans with injury, you know, um, uh, concerns. Unfortunately, that didn't really pan out. Most of those guys continued to get injured. But for me, like that's, that's when you're roster building, that's a flyer I'd take is Andre Dillard on a one to two year prove it uh, deal for maybe five to 6 million. And if, if he plays, like, I think he can play now you've got, you know, top 20 left tackle, at a very discounted rate and you can now take those dollars, use them elsewhere, use that draft capital elsewhere and plug some other holes. Yeah. You're always going to have to take a chance or take a risk, uh, a gamble when it comes to 
bringing in a new free agent. The last one I didn't mention that you talked about, Ryan Suckup. I think you can find a, a kicker with longer range, still be just as accurate for a less amount of money. And it all felt like Rashad White gave it away that Ryan Suckup could be gone because um, Rashad White was saying goodbye to the number 29. It looks like he's going to have a different number next year. People were like, what number is he going to wear? Well, he was number three at Arizona State. That's the number that Ryan Suckup wore. If Suckup's not there, that's going to go to Rashad White. So it does kind of feel like that could be another move for the Bucs. But as we talked about with free agency, a lot of the times it's a gamble. And if you're going to gamble, you should be doing it over at mybookie.ag. It's a new year and a new you, so give yourself a fresh start with MyBookie. Whether you bet to earn or to make the games more exciting, MyBookie gives you the most for your money with their redesigned deposit bonus. Just use the promo code PEWTER, that's P-E-W-T-E-R, on a a deposit of $50 or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your MyBookie account. Using this bonus is simple. Bet your deposit amount just once, and you're ready to cash out. It's no strings attached with my bookie. Bet on the NFL, UFC, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly online blackjack tournament. With so many brands to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and win like mybookie.ag. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. You can also double your first deposit bonus up to $1,000 with the promo code Pewter. That's P-E-W-T-E-R. Even if you learn from Plant City Math, you know that that is a heck of a deal. So start getting those bonuses with the promo code Pewter, P-E-W-T-E-R, at mybookie.ag. As we close out the show, um, got a couple of comments. I think one of them was from John V asking me about, because uh, I used to watch Todd Bowles a lot growing up watching the Jets, and he was the head coach there. Is that kind of what happened? Bowles had success the first season with the Jets. Um, had a really good offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick, but probably more importantly, you had um, Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker as your wide receivers. That was a great tandem. A solid defense. There were similarities in the sense of you had veteran an aging team on both sides, and then once the Fitzpatrick situation fell apart, um, he never, you know, the, the offense was never the same. A lot of the key players like Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, they retired. So once the, the veteran guy started retiring, he wasn't able to get the most out of the team that he initially had, even though they went 10 and six. So that was way better than what Tampa Bay did this year. Um, oh, shots fired. Yeah, what a huge shot. Um, <laughs> he, he wasn't able to go back to the tap with those veteran players. It seemed like they had their moment. They didn't make the playoffs. It obviously was really hurtful. And then after that, the veteran guys – slowed down for another year and they didn't develop the young talent. So that's definitely something to worry about with the Bucs. You know, he had the quarterback with Brady and wasn't able to get it done. So Josh, to close that, I'll just ask you, (coughs) did, or sorry, is Todd Bowles on the hot seat going into next season? Absolutely. 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 Yeah. 100%. Um, He has an opportunity to, Right or wrong, better or worse, say that this year was an underperformance due to the offensive coordinator and or staff. Get it right and show progress and improvement. 
And if he doesn't do that, then I think there are serious concerns about whether he's going to get a third year. I 100% do. Now, if they don't get Brady and they don't go aggressively after a another veteran quarterback, um, then maybe he can sell, I'm the guy to lead a rebuild. Yeah. Um, no, that's I, fair. It, it so I, sound- I think, it, again, as with almost everything else with this offseason, it will be entirely contingent upon Brady. And Sal, to your comment, that was a Rex team. Rex Ryan was the coach of the Jets before that. Rex brought in a lot of his own guys. I mean, Bart Scott, Jim Leonard, uh, a lot of those guys were Rex Ryan guys. And then they had left and Todd Bowles came in. Rex Ryan had the Jets offense that that Rex Ryan had. I mean, obviously Mark Sanchez, everyone knew, but uh, that's when they had uh, Braylon Edwards, Santonio Holmes. So the offense was way different with with Bowles there. I know he's a defensive coach and it was his defense as well. Um, maybe not bringing in as many guys, but it was definitely, you know, Todd Bowles had his own spin on the defense, but um, I hear you there. Some people ask me about Sean Payton. Sean Payton's not going to the Bucks. It's just, you know, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and we'll end with this one from Julio Restina. Every Todd Bowles press conference starts with good afternoon. Also, everything is Bucks first Bucks. A lot of the time it is the Bucks speeding the Bucks. That's been the story. Before Tom Brady got there, they've had a lot of success with Tom Brady, but most of the times when they lose, it's not the other team was better than the Bucs, just the Bucs really beat themselves or the coaching kind of beat themselves. So um, obviously changes and upgrades need to be made for next season. Uh, Before we sign off, just want to remind everybody to please like and subscribe our uh, YouTube channel, Pewter Report TV. We're very, very close to 10,000 subscribers. We're less than 100 away. So would really love uh, if you guys could subscribe. It's absolutely free. It just lets you know when we put out some new content. We had a bunch of videos up today along with the podcast. Also, let us know how you feel about the 7 o'clock start time. Um, we'll we'll do the 4 o'clocks as well. Um, just want to mix it up a little bit in the off season. Uh, sometimes the times work better for uh, fellow people on the podcast as well. And we want to be as accommodating as possible. So feel free to put in the comment after this video, whether you like the four o'clock, the seven o'clock, we obviously want to do what's best for the fans, but we want to uh, make sure we have everyone as available as possible as well. So love all of you pewter people. Thank you to everybody for Josh Capo. I'm Matt Matera saying thanks everybody for watching. We will see you tomorrow for another edition of the pewter report podcast. We'll let you know what time that is. Peace out.